Welcome to the chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 129 of Chalk Talk. I'm your host, Shane Half, and you can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at Shane Half NFL. I'm joined today by the best co-host in the game. You've heard him on the Tough Cover radio show. It is Mark Henry Jr. Give him a follow on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. underscore. Mark, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm doing fantastic. We just did the, the draft pod for BGN. Um, I, I can't lie. My my thoughts are kind of on the college football side of things right now. But hey, we were just talking off air. There's some fun NFL storylines. A little, little Josh Dobbs, the pastronaut. Uh, a little Josh McDaniels. It's a week of Josh's, really, when it comes down to it. Good and bad. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We got a comment already rolling in here. Uh, frequent listener at Daniel Berry Sports Highlight says, Hey, what's up, Daniel? Welcome to the show tonight. We're going to kick off our week nine recap show, as we always do with the Eagles game, and then we'll throw it around the rest of the league. Talk about every game. So no matter who your team is, I got a good idea who Daniels is. No matter who your team is, you're going to hear us talk about them. Of course, unless they were on a bye week, we had some bye weeks this week. So let's dive into it. The Eagles beat the Dallas Cowboys 28-23. There was a wild ending to this game, Mark. The, the Eagles are up by 11. They get a fourth and goal stop. Originally ruled a touchdown on review, overturned, stopped at the inches line. They go three and out. Dallas goes on a touchdown drive. Barely misses the two-point conversion that would have cut it to three points. The Eagles go three and out. The defense holds. The Eagles go three and out again with a bizarre fumble on third down. They were lucky to recover. There's like 50 seconds left. They get The Cowboys got to go like 90 yards. They get a 30-plus yard PI, a 15-yard rushing the passer, a five-yard encroachment. Then there's a five-yard false start as Dallas tried to run a QB draw with no timeouts again like they did last year. Then there's a sack. Then a completion to the goal line, and the game ends right there before my heart exploded. This was an insane game. Uh, I don't know where to even start. What did you take away from this one? So it's not my takeaway is tangential to the game. My takeaway is in relation to the way that this game's been talked about um, and the way that this game has been tweeted about. Philadelphia Eagles were by far the better team for 56 minutes of this game. And they tried to lose it in the last four. They tried to collapse for sure, but they won the game. And I'm hearing people litigate how nice of a win it was. Guess what? When you beat a five and two team, you don't, you don't ask how you just ask how many and how many is the one in the win column. And I, it really sickens me the negativity about an eight and one team when no other team in the NFL is eight and one and only three teams have two losses and the Eagles have played the hardest schedule in the NFL to get to eight and one. It's a, I I'm getting, I'm reaching a breaking point with Eagles fans. <laughs> I, I can't lie about it. I, I'm reaching a breaking point. I think Jalen hurts is playing the best football um, in the NFL. Right now, maybe you could argue Lamar. Lamar didn't really have like that great of a day on Sunday, regardless of them winning 37-3. <laughs> he didn't he didn't have to. Um, but uh-huh. I think Jalen honestly is playing the best quarterback of any NFL or any quarterback in the NFL. And really, when it comes down to it, 
if we want to if we want to litigate this game and we want to talk about what it came down to, when the Eagles got to the one yard line early in this game, what did they do, Shane? QB sneak. They have an automatic play that gets them into the end zone. When the Dallas Cowboys got to the one yard line, they threw short of the end zone to Jake Ferguson and expected him to try to get into the end zone. The Eagles have, as an organization, have a philosophy of when it's a yard, pushing forward to that yard, whereas the Cowboys drop back and roll back and throw it short of the sticks on fourth and goal on the one. I don't want to hear any talk about, like, oh, was that actually a touchdown? Should his knee – should your knee be allowed to go down if you don't complete the catch? And don't throw short of this pylon on fourth and goal on the one. And everyone wants to talk about how great of a game Dak played. He was great for most of the game. But you had the tweet, and maybe you can pull it up while we're talking about it. I should have asked you to pull it up before. When it came to fourth and eight, C.D. Lamb was wide open in the middle of the field. What did Dak do when the gut when the going got tough in that game? He threw to Jalen Tolbert in double coverage. What did what did Dak do when he got to the one yard line? He threw short of the pylon. What did Dak do on a two point conversion? He stepped out of bounds when he had absolutely no reason to. So I get it. He played a really good game, but Dak still got worms in his brain when the thing when, when the going gets tough and the football matters the most, Dak shrinks. I mean, the, the, the stat that they showed in that game where Jalen Hurts has the number one QBR in the NFL when trailing, and Dak has the worst in the NFL when trailing. I think it really says everything you need to say about this game and about the Cowboys. And I don't know how anyone's walking out of this game claiming a moral victory for the Cowboys when all they did was all they've done for the entire Dak era. They got close in a game against a good team, and they lost. It's what happens every time. And this play, yeah, you're going to play it. What? How do you miss that? You're locked into the one side of the field. He didn't even look. He's totally locked in. You look at his eyes where they are. He is staring at that side of the field. I guess it wasn't double coverage. I was wrong there. But he was not open in any sense of the word. And you have C.D. Lamb wide open in the middle of the field, and you've been that's, gashing actually, us in the middle That's actually of the field. Ferguson. Oh, okay, it was Ferguson. I think there was yeah. another play. He missed Lamb as well so, that I saw online too. So this is one of those things, and this is the thing with Dak. I think Dak's a really good quarterback. Absolutely. This is one of those where the same things we were saying about C.J. Stroud in the draft comes into play that he's too robotic, he's too precise with everything. Because like what he sees here is Darius Slay on CD Lamb with a bracket coverage inside. So he goes to the isolated receiver one-on-one. Now, the isolated receiver one-on-one is Jalen Tolbert. And he doesn't, he misses the fact that you still got three guys on that side. You can bounce this backside, but like at least confirm it because Nick, as Zach Cunningham misses the press on the on Ferguson, he's wide open. And, and that's one of the complaints about Dak at times. He's so robotic like that that is teach tape for quarterbacking you just need to know the situation there and know who you're up against and know that zach cunningham's awful in coverage and there might be a shot there not to get luck 
you know that's a curl route. You have time to confirm the front side of the play before you get over to it. And there's a few instances like that in this game. I think Dak played unbelievably well. It just continues like at a certain point, it becomes the same that it's becoming with Justin Herbert for me. I think he's a remarkably good quarterback. I think Justin Herbert's better than Dak, to be clear. But at a certain point, if you can't win a big game, it doesn't matter. And unfortunately for Cowboys fans, that's where it's at with Dak. He is such a good quarterback. I have defended Dak to Cowboys fans. Same here. I I don't know how you don't score on that two-point conversion. That's Brandon Graham chasing you. And you could have dove for the pylon. You could have stayed in. I don't know if he misjudges it. Um, the one at the end, the the one at the very end, uh, well, before the very end, when they get the sack, when it's down near the goal line, the Cowboys went 10 personnel, so four wide receivers, and the Eagles stayed in nickel, and they ended up with Zach Cunningham on Cavante Turpin in the slot, and he was wide open. Now, Josh Sweat just insta, insta beat. Uh, Terrence Steele there, so Dak didn't have a chance, but like there were openings there, and the line doesn't hold up. Dak misses a few things. Who played phenomenal for 95% of the game? He had me pulling my hair out, but it always just seems to be that last one that gets him. Yeah, and part of the reason that Dak played phenomenally in this game for most of it is that he used his legs. And how mm-hmm. much, how often have we talked about that on this show? Dak is a totally different quarterback when he's using his legs and when he's getting outside of the pocket and even when he's just moving within the pocket to to get to another quarter or to get to another receiver who's open running an improv route. But at the end of this game, what was Dak not doing? He wasn't running besides the two point conversion, which he failed on, I guess, but he wasn't getting out of the pocket. And what happened? He got sacked like four times, three times in the last two drives you can't take those sacks. I mean, those sacks are just as big of a reason as anything else. Like, I, I, I think you end up walking away with just as many questions as answers with the Cowboys and, and with Dak. And the funniest thing too is, you know, this vaunted Cowboys defense. Jalen looked pretty good on a bum knee against this incredible top defense in the league. Did we run the ball well? No, we haven't been running the ball well in general, though. That's that's right. a concern. If you're going to point at anything to be concerned about, it's that. And I understand that. I'd like to see Penny. I'd like to see, you know, just to see what he has. Um, but outside of, you know, that, I don't think you should be walking out of this game tearing your hair out. And even the secondary, it wasn't good. And nobody's been more vocal about the fact that I think Darius Slay is overrated for like three years. And I think that a lot of that was scheme-based and a lot of that was luck-based. And I think he has lost a step. But he looks bad. And Slay doesn't look good. Bradbury looks much worse, obviously. Um, and then you have some concerns outside of that in the slot. And Eli didn't play good. And um, I didn't really feel like anyone in the second day. I think Blankenship had a good game. Um, yeah, I, think, I, I would say Blankenship had a good game. I would say Slay had a decent game. I didn't think yeah, Slay was yeah. too bad in this game. I thought he was like an average. He had an average game. Bradbury was really bad. Uh, yeah. Jake Ferguson and CD lamb both had career highs and yardage in this game. So nothing was great on the back end. And I have some questions about what Desai was trying to accomplish. Cause it just doesn't make sense to me, but uh, the Eagles run defense still on point. <clears throat> uh, they allowed only 5% of the running of Dallas's running plays. 
to gain more rushing yards than expected per next-gen stats. That's the fourth lowest rate in any game over the last three seasons. Uh, the Eagles allowed negative 37 rushing yards over expectation, which is their lowest total since the 2021 season. So wow. run D on point. Pass rush was generally pretty good. Secondary and then the run game on offense are the two things that the Eagles got to work out going forward, and in addition to what they're going to do without Dallas Goddard for at least the next four weeks with his forearm injury. Yeah, the, the secondary thing, I'm not going to say I'm not concerned, but I think that you know Kevin Byard has not looked – like what we'd hoped um, mm-hmm. at this point, I'd say. I would assume that a bye week to get him into the system will help. And I would assume he didn't forget how to play football, Kevin Byard. So I, I do think he will help us down the line. And I also think for as negative as these last two games have been for the Eagles secondary with Washington and Dallas, it's hard for me to just totally throw out the Miami game where we went up against the absolute most dangerous and scary receiving duo in the NFL and the scariest offense in the NFL. And the defense played maybe the most impressive defensive game that any team in the NFL has played this year against a good offense. Like uh, it's hard for me to just throw that away. Yeah. We're going to get to Miami and their offense here in a minute. Um, That's fair. Every time they play a team with a winning record, I feel less impressed by that, but yeah, that's that. I mean, I, I agree with that. Oh, Jalen Waddle misses a decent part of that Dolphins game, so that did make it a little easier too. But I think you get Bradley Roby back in the slot, yeah. hopefully after the bye. Maybe you can actually start the same secondary for like two games in a row. That would probably help. I think there are things that can be ironed out, but it's hard to feel great about the secondary right now. It's real easy to feel good about this offense, though. Yeah, no, and the rushing game, I think it'll work itself out. Um, I, I think that it, they will be fine in the long run. Um, is there any any report on Jurgens? Are, are they expecting Jurgens back after the bye? I'm assuming. I think so because they activated his 21 day practice window. Yeah. Earlier this week, there was a lot of speculation he would play in the Dallas game, and he didn't. Uh, so once they activate that 21 day window, if they don't like put him on the roster then he's on IR for the rest of the season so that 21 days would be at most he could miss the Chiefs game but I would assume he's going to be back for the Chiefs game maybe he was a bigger portion of uh you know the running game than than we thought at the time I think that's part of it but the bigger part is Jalen Hurts mobility it's remarkably hard to be a good running team out of shotgun really only the Eagles and Ravens have been able to pull that off and it's because their quarterbacks are a threat in the run. It it's the Madden thing, right? I don't know if you play Madden, the viewers Mm -hmm. play Madden guy lines up in shotgun. He's running inside zone. You just shift your line and you crash it opposite the running back and shut it down under center. It could go either way. And it's not as simple as just get under center because that messes up, you know, your drops and everything else for, passing plays it makes your quarterback turn his back for play action things like that so uh i wouldn't be i i i would like to see the eagles try to add a little bit of under center stuff over the bye week it doesn't need to be a lot it is a contingency plan you need to have though if jalen's nursing an injury you need to be able to run the football in january and not a lot but you need to be able to do it a little bit also, give me whatever they shot Jalen up with at halftime. That, that's all I'll say because he came out and he had that one run after halftime after taking that hit where I was like, whoa, 
there's Jalen Hurts. Like he did have a run after that hit where he looked as fast as he's ever looked. Like he, he looked like himself, but he's not confident enough to do that consistently right now. So, um, but I, I was shocked. I, and I feel like I didn't hear anyone really talk about it, but I watched, cause I went into that halftime, like apoplectic. Like I was thinking about the season and I'm like worried yeah. about everything that could be happening with Jalen's knee. And it was, I think the first time we had the ball after halftime, he ran for a first down and I was like, all right, I guess, guess we're fine. <laughs> yeah. How he looks Monday night in week 11 against Kansas City will be very telling because if he doesn't look 100% off the bye, that's just what he's going to be the rest of the season. Which, to be clear, is the best passing quarterback in football over the last three weeks. But in terms of mobility, I'm saying if he's not able to get out and move against Kansas City, that's probably not coming back this season. Just because you're in the grind, maybe – if you get in a scenario where you can rest him week 18 and you have a buy, you know, but this is it. Hopefully he comes back and looks healthy on his feet. I do generally agree. And this is a different injury, but I would say that Joe Burrow does seem to have kind of worked himself through an injury. And it seems like he's back on the other side, but it's a different injury. So hopefully Jalen can do the same no matter what. Yeah. All right, anything else on this game before we move on to the next one? A.J. Brown's good, but besides that, not much else. All right, so the Eagles do take a two-game lead on the division end of the bye week, which is functionally two and a half half because of uh, the tiebreaker at this point. No, No, it is two and a half because we're three wins ahead of them. They had a bye. So it's it's two and a half, and it's functionally three. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. All right, let's go if we must to Thursday night football where Tennessee uh, loses to Pittsburgh 20 to 16. The Steelers continue to win games despite struggling mightily on offense. Uh, They open this game with a touchdown drive and then the offense just ground to a halt. Uh, Meanwhile, for Tennessee, Will Levis had some impressive moments. His arm strength's outstanding. And, And I mean, we knew that. That's no surprise. If you listen to our draft stuff, we knew his arm was incredible. Uh, He's got a lot of things to work out. They've named him the starter for the rest of the season, which is what they should be doing. They're done. You might as well see what you have. Uh, He was unable to connect with DeAndre Hopkins in the second half. He ultimately threw the game ceiling interception, but I did feel good overall about his performance for his second start. Uh, He was pressured on 20 of 44 dropbacks, sacked four times, playing a very good defense. Uh, I think Titans fans should be cautiously optimistic and excited. You know, it's, it's a lost season and that stinks, but there can be some excitement around evaluating a rookie quarterback. So see what you got. And I think that makes it exciting for fans moving forward. Uh, the only other thing I'll note is Derek Henry became the first player in Titans history in this game to score 85 career touchdowns. So King Henry now reigns supreme in Titans touchdown scoring history. Yeah, I feel like I don't have much to say on the Steelers. Um, it seems like, you know, that we haven't already said. Uh, if TJ Watt plays, you're probably a 10 win team, regardless of how incompetent your offense is. Um, and again, I, I don't, I actually think Kenny Pickett has like moments where it's like, this is Kenny Pickett. Like that's what he should be, but it's, it really does feel like he's hand shackled by whatever Matt Canada calls an offense. Um, so I, I hate to be the guy who like justifies his draft take based on just calling the coach an idiot but I really do still 
believe in Kenny Pickett as like a legitimate starting option. And I think he's been put in an impossible situation in terms of play calling, but Tennessee is, I mean, the, the, the real takeaway is, is with Tennessee. Um, Will Levis. I, I don't know if I've, I, I have to just like continue to apologize every week because I, I was so wrong. I, I think I can already say like, I think Will Levis is going to be a part of our lives as NFL uh, podcasters for a long time. Like I, I think we're going to be talking about Will Levis for the next decade. Um, I was incredibly impressed. I know that the stats weren't amazing. They didn't, they only they scored 16 points. Pittsburgh's got a top three defense in football. Um, so for him to have looked as competent as he did coming off of a, like his first time that he's been put into a game and then he has a short week into Thursday night football with a really, really hard matchup to look as professional as Will Levis looked, I think tells me that he's got a really high floor at this point. And like you said, he's got a lot to work out. He is still raw in a lot of areas, but he, he looks a heck of a lot less raw than I could have ever anticipated. So, um, you know, I like to celebrate when I'm right with my draft takes I think I can already say that I, I was definitively wrong on Will Levis. And I think I had him like in the sixties. I, I was pretty out. Let me ask you a question. You're starting an NFL franchise. Yeah. Yeah. Kenny Pickett or Will Levis? Who would you oh, rather have? Will Levis right now. But that that's a tough question. I thought you were gonna ask Will Levis or Bryce Young. And that's no. <laughs> that's a brutal one for me. But I would still say Young. I, I that's a whole other can of beans talking about the Carolina Panthers offensive line. But um, yeah, I mean, Will Levis right now looks like the second best quarterback from the class. I guess it's hard to say that Anthony Richardson looked really good when he played, but yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's hard. It's gotta be hard to be a Carolina Panthers fan right now. Yeah. I, uh, I had Will Levis at 34. You had him at 52 when we did our, that's a lot stuff. higher than I thought. I had. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That does it. All right. Well, all right. Well, I'll you, take back some of my apology. You brought up Bryce Young. I've got to ask you this one, although it's in jest. Yeah. Starting a franchise tomorrow, would you rather have Bryce Young or Tanner McKee? <laughs> Bryce Young. But by yeah. the way, the, the funny thing about Bryce Young, CJ Stroud. Bryce Young beat CJ Stroud. Don't tell people that, but it did happen last week. I'm gonna have to transcribe that on audio. I don't know if people did it can not come that. through. No, it <laughs> did. It did. It was it was real poppy whispered into the yeah. mic there. But yeah, I yeah, to, I, I'm I with you. Like it. right now, I would take Will Levis, and it's the arm strength. Like he has, he has an elite thing, and I don't think Kenny Pickett has elite things. Like, That's fair. Yeah, I think Kenny Pickett, and and I'm a bet on traits guy. That's why Anthony Richardson was my QB one in this draft class. C.J. Stroud was number two. Uh, I was a big CJ Stroud guy. I only talked myself into Richardson because of the athleticism. Like a couple, like two weeks before the draft being my QB one, I was conflicted about it, but um, I probably had Stroud higher than you overall though. Uh, I could I be wrong. I don't think you did. Cause I'll, I'll check it here, but I also had him QB two, but I remember being pretty high on the quarterbacks in terms of where I ranked them. I had Stroud four overall. Oh, okay. That's, that's higher than seven. I thought you had him. Yeah. 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 I, so I had, I had a, Will Anderson one, Jalen Carter two, Anthony Richardson three, CJ Stroud four. No need to talk about who my number five was. Tyree Wilson. Bryce Young. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I had some bad ranks. Yeah, it happens. And and none of these guys' careers are written, but yeah, I I, I would take Levis right now for he's got an elite trait, and I don't think Pickett has an elite trait. 
I still think Pickett can be a good starter. Also, when you start to factor in, Pickett already has two concussions. He's already got rib injuries. Like that starts to factor in a little bit too. Those first few years are so important, and he's been stuck with Matt Canada. It's not been a fair situation for Kenny Pickett, but I think it's fair. Like I saw that discourse floating around, and I honestly like not overly reactionary, but I think I'd take Levis right now. Would you take Levis over Young? I think I'm still no. I don't think so, no. Yeah. I I think Young's been in a pretty bad situation as well. Now, granted, I would love to have my Panthers might win the NFC South take back because I love the coaching staff they were putting together. I liked a lot of the moves they've made. It has not gelled. It just hasn't. Yeah, I don't – the offensive line is really bad. They had no receivers. Frank Wright – I did not anticipate their O-line being this bad. Yeah, no one did. Yeah, and it's it's hurt too. So there's been a lot of injuries on – it's kind of like the Jets, whereas they were already coming in a little shaky and then a bunch of injuries kind of completely derailed the season there. But, yeah, I don't know how this turned into a Panthers thing. But it it just must be absolutely brutal being a Panthers fan and watching these other rookie quarterbacks pick it up right away, even if that's not fair because I think all these other rookie quarterbacks are in better situations by a long shot than Bryce Young. Um, But – it def- it definitely does have to suck. I-, I have a couple Panthers fans in my life who are doom tweeting every CJ Stroud game. Yeah, all I'm saying, if you're a, if you're a high school college prospect out there, don't be QB one in your draft class. Like, be good enough to go in the go in the like the top ten. Don't be QB one. You're going to end up on a better team anyways. Yeah, no, that that, that makes sense. Uh, well, especially. <laughs> Panthers went seven and 10 last year. Like that's like the weirdest part about all of this. Like they traded up to the first pick. It's not like they were this awful, historically bad team. Uh, They have a lot of the same team. Like is Frank Reich just totally cooked? Can we just go? Let's just go to that game. When do they play? Um, (laughs) Goodness. Where? Let me scroll all the way down the list. Uh, That's at the four. That's a four twenty five games. But yeah, yeah, we might as we might as well just get it out of the way. Yeah, Colts and Panthers, and so much of that conversation ended up reverting back to Bryce Young anyway. What was that score, 27-10, something like that? Yeah, Indy beats Carolina 27-13. Bryce Young Mm -hmm. threw three touchdowns in this game. Uh, Unfortunately, two of them were to Colts cornerback Kenny Moore. Uh, Young is the only only the second number one overall pick to throw two pick sixes in one game. You want to take a guess at who the other one is? Jake DeLone. Actually, it's Andrew Luck. All right. So, Hope. Panthers fans, I'm here to give you hope. Andrew Luck did it too. Um, yeah, the Panthers are they're just dumpster fire right now. Uh, the Colts offense is not much to speak of without Anthony Richardson. Gardner Minshew only averaged 4.9 yards per attempt. Zero plays of over 20 yards. Jonathan Taylor was held to 2.6 yards per carry. But when you throw two touchdowns to the other team, you're going to lose the game. And that's what happened to Carolina. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. We have a we have Stat Padford, it's a fun name, uh, chiming in and saying Young is bad. Getting a lot of this online. Getting a lot of people uh, tweeting at me, telling me how bad Bryce Young is and how much of an idiot I was um, for loving Bryce Young in the draft. I don't think I was alone. I think the like entire draft community was pretty in love with Bryce Young. Um, and I'm not giving up. I think they're, it's still long-term. I think he's going to be a really good quarterback. Um, I think we've seen plenty of rookie quarterbacks really struggle. Um, and I don't know if we've seen any rookie quarterbacks in as bad of a situation offensively as young is in terms of skill position. But, yeah, 
not much to say on this game other than the fact that I think Frank Reich might like totally be cooked as a coach. Um, I, I haven't seen anything I liked out of any of the offensive play design for Carolina. Um, I don't think that they are very smart situationally. And I also think like, this is, this is your revenge game, Frank Reich. It, this oh, team yeah, fired. I didn't even think about that. This, this team fired you. This is, you're coming out and putting up 13 points. Like you're the offensive mastermind. You're the guy who I was told he's the reason that oh well, he's Tua with a bad coach. Oh, so he's an excellent quarterback? <laughs> Tua Tua's excellent. If 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 he turns into Tua, that'd be fantastic. It'd be great <laughs> against teams with losing records. All right. I don't think that that's fair, but yeah, yeah, we'll get to that game too. But Tua has Tua's like third in MVP odds right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well let's get to that game because that's actually the next one on the list. So Tua uh, isn't that good. So uh, me and Stat Padford are gonna have it out here. I like the name, but we 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 diverge <laughs> and take Tua is one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the NFL. He's a top nine quarterback no matter how you slice it like there's no way you're telling me that there's nine quarterbacks better than Tua and you know if there's only eight quarterbacks that are good then then I don't know what we're doing yeah and I don't think I don't think that he says Mike McDaniel is great though and the thing is that Mike McDaniel offense it doesn't work without Tua because of Tua's accuracy and how quick he pulls that trigger like would you like it's to have marriage. would you like to have Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson? Yeah. Yes. But yeah. that offense would be markedly different because you can't run that type of scheme with those type of quarterbacks. So let, let's get let's get into the whole game here. So Miami goes, well, they didn't go to Kansas City. They went to Germany. They lose 21-14 to the Chiefs. Uh the Chiefs, I want to start talking about the Chiefs who have played 103 games with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. Per Shiel Kapadia, this game was 101st in success rate. No Chiefs game this season ranks top 50 in success rate. Uh, Travis Kelsey was held to a season low three catches for 14 yards, which is what I think you're going to see happen a lot. Teams are going to double Kelsey because the Chiefs don't have anybody else. Uh, now, even though he was held to a season low, he did pass Tony Gonzalez for most receiving yards in franchise history. Um, I have a multifaceted take here, which ties into the title of our episode, ties into another game we'll get to later. But when the Chiefs lose to the Baltimore Ravens in the playoffs and don't make it to the Super Bowl, we're going to look back on them not making a move at the trade deadline to get a pass catcher, a competent pass catcher as a defining moment for this season. Now I am not that there's a lot of like sky is falling discourse going on with the chiefs. And I don't know how people haven't learned. Cause we do this every year and they always make it to like the AFC championship game. Will they make it to the AFC championship game this year? I don't know because you have potential thermonuclear Josh Allen game. You've got the Bengals looking great now. You've got the Ravens looking great. I still think they're going to go, you know, they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to win some playoff games. But even with all the sky is falling stuff, like this Chiefs offense is still seventh in EPA per play in the NFL. It's bad by Chiefs standards. It's good by NFL standards. But the thing is, their defense is fifth in EPA. If that defense continues to hold it together, 
and some just somebody, somebody other than Travis Kelsey, learn how to get open and catch a pass. We're cooking again. But I'm a little scared about their receiver room. And I do think it would have been wise for them to make some sort of move at the trade deadline. Now, we didn't see receivers moved at the deadline. You couldn't go get a Devontae Adams. They're not going to trade him in the division. But somebody. And we didn't see those guys move, so maybe they weren't available. Maybe they tried. But that's my concern for this Chiefs team. So let's talk about the Chiefs, and then we'll pivot to the Dolphins. Yeah, I just want to plant my flag in the I'm 0% concerned um, with, with the Chiefs' take. I think that they're the safest bet in the NFL to get back to the Super Bowl. Um, when you have Patrick Mahomes, you have a 50% chance of making the Super Bowl, and you have a 100% chance of making the AFC Championship game, at least anecdotally in his career. But outside of that, if you give me Patrick Mahomes and you also give me a top-five defense, I'm not going to ask about like what else is going on because I think he's going to figure it out. Um, I do think Rasheed Rice, who, who caught a touchdown in this game, um, is getting better throughout the year. So I do think he's stepping up into a role. Travis Kelsey's not going to get shut down like this very often. This was a game in Germany as well, not to not to kind of like make excuses for the Chiefs offense. But um, Dolphins also have really a really good linebacker in David Long and a really good safety in Javon Holland. So not every team can do that. Yeah, it seems like they they did a good job. I mean, Miami played their best defensive game of the year um, in, in this game, uh, but. I don't think that that's something that's that repeatable uh, in, in terms of shutting Travis Kelsey down. Like you said, um, Jarek McKinnon's a guy who they started to kind of get involved a little bit early this week in the passing game last year when they got Jarek McKinnon super involved in the passing game is when their offense took off. Um, it, he, they really used him a lot last year leading into the playoffs. Um, I, I think that they could definitely get that going again. Like they seem to at certain points, the offense looked really good in the first quarter of this game. And it seems like the chiefs, kind of like the Eagles in some ways do struggle at being up by a lot of points. Like when they're up a bunch, they kind of always let you back in and they mm -hmm. never really put you away. And that is what happened here, here with Miami. So um, I'm, I'm not concerned at all with the chiefs. I think they're totally fine. Um, and we're going to talk about the dolphins. The, you know, that the chiefs were one of my best bets this week. And that was predicated a lot in the fact that Miami has a really fraudulent defense and is not good against good teams. Now, here's where the issue is. Switching over to Miami. When that conversation becomes too a stinks now and Mike McDaniel can't beat a good team, I think that's missing the problem. I think the problem is somewhat with the offensive line. And then the problem is more so with the defense. That, that that wasn't the huge problem in this game, but that was the problem against Philadelphia, and that was the problem against Buffalo. Uh, so I just I think the Tua discourse is back to being ridiculously dumb online, uh, and it's just I, I can't do this like overreactionary thing to every game where the Dolphins going into this game had the best offense in NFL history. And I get that they struggled in the three games against good teams. They had the best offense in NFL history in EPA and success rate coming into this game. So it's hard for me to be to throw the baby out with the bathwater after a bad game against a top five defense. I think, I think where you're at with the Dolphins is that speed kills, but when you play good teams, 
good teams have done a good job of being physical and negating that speed. It's the whole finesse thing works until it doesn't. And there's got to be a counter punch. And the Dolphins are so far down the road of building a finesse team that when they get punched in the mouth, it's over. Yeah. And that's and where I'm at the with the offense. Like that you've got Tyree kill. You've got Jalen Waddle. like switch Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith are both teams better. Maybe I think the dolphins are better. I don't think we're better. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. But uh, then you look at the running back Raheem Mostert, Devon a chain, both fun That's... backs to watch. What if you put a guy that could run behind his pads through the tackle box in there? Because every run's got to go outside. Like, I just feel like to a certain degree, like we talked about, it, I talked about it with the bills last year, there's diminishing returns. The bills decided, let's see how far we can push running backs don't matter. And we're not going to run the football. And eventually that catches up with you. I almost feel like the dolphins have done that with like speed, 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 like, they're not growing on trees, but go get a, go get a contested catch guy. Go get a big bodied guy that can, I don't, I don't know. I just, I just feel like if there was a little more like diversity in their skill set, it might benefit them. Cause there's no getting around the fact that the three teams they've played with winning records, Bills, Eagles, Chiefs, they've averaged 17 points a game versus 39 points a game in other games in this game, their average distance to go on third down was 12 yards. Like You can't make a living that way. A lot of it's offensive line stuff. Teron Armstead's been banged up. They've had issues. I wonder, too, if a little bit of it is that they're just a super finesse team. And at the end of the day, maybe teams have figured out how to slow that down. And, yeah, I, I this is, like, a bad thing for me to do when I get – when me and a commenter are going back and forth when I just start, like, yelling at the commenter. But once teams get film on Tua, this happens every year. Tua is currently leading the NFL in passing yards, touchdowns, touchdown percentage, air yards per attempt, net yards per attempt, passer rating, and QBR. What are we talking about, guys? Like, yeah, is he a perfect quarterback? No. Is he a top nine quarterback in football? Yeah. And the, the once teams get film on Tua, this happens every year. Or better teams than the Dolphins beat the Dolphins. Like, outside of Tua – like the, the issues on the Miami Dolphins are in the trenches. It's the offensive line, which has been banged up and not very good, even when healthy. And it's the defensive line not getting after the quarterback. Vic Fangio built this whole modern defense um, in terms of a in terms of everyone rushes for and you drop back and you get pressure with those four. Vic Fangio is not getting pressure with the four that are, that are pass rushing for the dolphins. So that's his whole scheme. It seems like Vic Fangio is washed up to me at this point. I mean, they played pretty well in this game, but um, I do agree with this point there that it hurts. It hurts that Tua can't run either hard to have a dominant run game these days with a non-mobile quarterback. Absolutely. Tua. And that's, uh, uh, yeah, I'd rather have Jalen hurts. I'd rather have Lamar Jackson. I'd rather have Josh Allen, but there are, Obviously, a lot of quarterbacks, I'd rather have two of them. And I don't subscribe to the belief that if you plug Bryce Young into the Dolphins right now, they just have the greatest offense in NFL history going into this game. Um, and I feel that way about most of the NFL. So, um, But then the one thing I want to push back on with the running game comments that you made, Devon A-Chain was having a historically efficient year, and he's hurt. And you could blame that on the fact that he's tiny, for sure. 
Um, but he is hurt. Like they, 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 these last two games that they played against Philly and KC were without a weapon who was a big reason why they were the best offense in the NFL history. Um, I think A-Chain might be the fastest player in the NFL. So adding another one of those guys that a defense has to contain, I really do think is unspeakably dangerous for Miami. So they're going to get him back in a couple weeks, and I do think that will make a difference. Yeah. Uh, last thing, and then we got to move on from this game, but the play of the game, I've <laughs> got to mention it. Uh, Tyreek Hill yeah. got stripped by Trent McDuffie, which was recovered by Mike Edwards, who got wrapped up by a Dolphin, who then, while he's wrapped up, lateraled the ball to Brian Cook, who returned it for a TD. And I'm just here to say I am here for every defensive player that gets a turnover trying to lateral it to get into the end zone. Like, What's the worst? Like, can the coach really be that mad at you if the lateral doesn't work out and you give the ball back to the offense? You just be like, coach, if I didn't intercept it in the first place, if I didn't strip it in the first place, they'd still have the ball anyways. So I'm here for it. <laughs> defensive players, go have some fun. I'm all here. I'm all about defensive touchdowns. And I love those comments. Enjoying the show. Got a new fan. That's awesome. I do love the name, Stat Pafford. It's fun. Um, and and you think so he doesn't start out hot and cool off every year, not trying to argue, but it's common knowledge. He's serviceable, but he's not an MVP caliber. I agree with that. He's not MVP caliber. I'm not arguing that he should be the MVP. I think he's I think he's above serviceable. Um, but yeah, I most of them were we're not as far off as it seems, obviously. But yeah, I appreciate you commenting, Stat Pafford. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Uh, however you came across this, uh, glad you're here. Let's roll on to Absolutely. our next game. Uh, it is Minnesota at Atlanta. Minnesota wins this game 31-28. to 28. Uh, Jaron Hall went into the concussion protocol in this game. And so Josh <laughs> Dobbs, who had not taken a snap in practice, stepped in. You've seen the videos of him on the sideline practicing his cadence with the offensive line because they had never heard it before. I don't know what Minnesota was doing in practice between the trade Tuesday and Sunday, by the way, if they didn't get their backup quarterback a couple reps. Uh for that matter, I don't know what the Falcons ever do in practice, but we'll get to that. Uh, he said after the game, Kevin O'Connell was translating plays calls to him in the headset, in the huddle, while the play clock is ticking, which is just insane. Uh, it didn't start well. He took a safety. He was strip sacked early. He fumbled again in the second half, but he directed a scoring drive that put the game away. Going tempo, two-minute drill, not even knowing the plays, throwing to guys he didn't even know their names. Um Incredible storyline there by Josh Dobbs, who looked decent. I mean, Arizona was supposed to go 0-17, right? And he made them look serviceable. He gets traded at the deadline with Murray coming back. Uh, I will be pulling for Josh Dobbs. That's a fun story to root for. As for the Falcons, uh, their offense moved the ball, but they settled for four field goals in this game. Bajon Robinson only touched the ball six times in the second half. He was on the field on only one of six red zone plays, and it was a pass to Jonu Smith. Not to be confused with the end around to Jonu Smith, also run in the red zone. The Falcons are 30th in touchdown percentage, Mark, from goal-to-go situations despite drafting a running back at eight that they refused to give the ball to. Arthur Smith makes no sense. We were worried before this season Arthur Smith was going to get fired, and we thought he was a good coach, but he never had a quarterback. I'm saying that Arthur Smith has – I have totally flipped on Arthur Smith. If we were ranking quarterbacks now, he would be a bottom five – or excuse me, if we were ranking coaches, he'd be a bottom five coach for me. Yeah, it's hard for me, and we were talking about this off-air. I've got I've got two 
two devils and an or a devil and an angel, however you want to say it, on my shoulder when it comes to Arthur Smith. There's the one devil on my shoulder that says, hey, that team the last two years has not been good enough to win seven games. Like they, he has overachieved to make them competent and relevant. And then there's the other devil on my shoulder. That's a fantasy footballer and a diehard fantasy football guy who's in seven different leagues. That part of me thinks Arthur Smith should be in prison <laughs> for the way that he's used Bijan Robinson, Drake London and Kyle Pitts. I mean, I, I think that I've actually been generally like forgiving of the way Arthur Smith has used his guys, but John U. Smith end around was the final straw for me. I think like you're on the one yard line. If you're that committed to running an end around, you have Drake London, who's like a next level athlete and also huge. And then, Oh yeah, you have Kyle Pitts, who's a next level athlete and also huge. He is bigger, faster and stronger than John U. Smith. There's no reason for that play to be Jonu Smith. At that point, there has to be some level of being cute. And I don't know why he wants to be cute. I, I don't understand it. I, maybe it's that his dad owned FedEx and he's like, I'm worth $5 billion anyway. I'm doing this my way. So I, I don't know what the situation is. And then also the, the press conferences with Arthur Smith are rough. They are brutal, man. He thinks the media is like out to get him. And it's just a horrible look for an NFL coach. Like he won't give them anything. And it's like, Oh you, well, yeah. I mean, I know you want to blame Desmond Ritter for everything, but like, yeah, I'm starting Heineke again. Like uh, it's not a, it's not a negative on Ritter. It's like, yeah, it is dude. Like, I'm, I'm sorry that you, you want to like defend Desmond Ritter so hard. Guess who's not your quarterback anymore. Desmond Ritter. So like, uh, it's just, it's not a negative I, for a fully healthy Desmond Ritter that we benched him. Yeah, the way that he talks about everything is so frustrating. He just seems like he hates us. <laughs> like, I think he hates football fans and he hates the media. Like, I, I don't get it. I, I don't get what your end game is being like so combative with the media when you're not good enough to do. Like, I, I don't know. Belichick and Popovich, like, not, I wouldn't even say that they're combative, but like, they're cagey with the media and they don't, they kind of like don't value. I, I don't know. It's hard to compare, but Arthur Smith, you're not Greg Popovich and you're not Bill Belichick. Like you can't just be, can't just be an a-hole. There's no reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you talked about Popovich and you talk about, here's the thing, Arthur Smith have a winning season and then you can be <laughs> grumpy with the media. Like just yeah. once in your career, go win nine games and then you can say whatever you want to. I totally agree. I This game was exhausting, but I don't want to move on before talking about the pastronaut who I'm all in. I'm all in on Josh Dobbs. I didn't know he was a legitimate like rocket scientist. And the fact that this guy's just stepped into three different situations within like on a week's notice or less than a week's notice and stepped in and played well all three times in Tennessee week one, or Tennessee last year against Jacksonville, Week one against or week one for Arizona coming out with a win after being traded there days before. And, and then now in this spot where they were literally like learning each other's names in the huddle. And Kevin O'Connell was transcribing the plays live in the huddle. Like they were, which also was, super impressive by Kevin O'Connell oh, to be able to pull that off. I think Kevin O'Connell's a really smart guy and a really good coach. That was like the number one thing I harped on last year when everyone was expecting Minnesota to 
to fully crash back down. And I guess they kind of have in some ways, although I'd argue that Justin Jefferson getting hurt and Kirk Cousins getting hurt and a ton of guys on their offensive line getting hurt all have a factor in that. But everyone was talking about how lucky Minnesota was to win 13 games last year because they won all these close games. But no one was talking about the fact that Kevin O'Connell won those close games as a coach. And a lot of that has to do with situational awareness and timely coaching and all all that stuff. I think Kevin O'Connell is a next level football guy football mind especially offensively so um i think minnesota is going to make the playoffs i think they're going to be the seven seed we kind of talked about that last week being a possibility i'm there uh, they beat atlanta that's a huge game for that it's probably going to come down to minnesota atlanta washington tampa like it's going to come down to those couple teams uh, maybe maybe the carson wentz rams of course but um, it's going to come down to those teams and the vikings getting a win against the falcons probably puts their playoff odds above 50 percent yeah all right let's roll on to cleveland where there will be a couple games like this one that i have nothing on so yeah yeah I'm- <laughs> yeah we'll play some catch up on this one uh cleveland beats arizona 27 to 0 talk about putting a rookie qb in an awful spot uh, cardinals dealt dobbs they didn't activate kyler and so they threw clayton tune to the wolves against the browns he was sacked seven times pressured on 56% of his dropbacks. Arizona ended with 58 net yards on offense. And that's really all I've got to say about this one. Uh, Brutal performance by Arizona. Yeah. Clayton Toon is not an NFL quarterback. Sorry. uh, I mean, to be fair, he's playing like the best defense we've seen in the last 50 years. So that's true. I guess I I'll reserve the right to to change my mind on Clayton Tune future, but he did not look good. This Browns defense is definitely definitely really good, which makes some of like the the not so great performances by them like so confusing because when their defense is good, they are astoundingly dominant. <laughs> like it's but man, it, it's just going to come down to if you get any level of quarterback play um for Cleveland against some of these good teams because that defense can can win you a game. All right, let's keep it rolling here uh, so we don't end up with a three-hour podcast. At Green Bay, the Rams lose 3-20. to 20. Green Bay snapped their four-game losing streak against the Brett Rippon Rams, and the Rams promptly signed Carson Wentz. Uh, Aaron Jones was used heavily in this game for the Packers. He's been banged up a lot early in the year. He had 20 carries for 73 yards, four catches for 26 yards. It was not pretty for the Packers, who f- missed a field goal. Fumbled twice. They had eight penalties, uh, but they do win the game. Brett Rippon had an awful performance. Rams offense averaged 2.3 yards per carry on 22 rushing attempts. Uh, Jordan Love, I thought, was okay. He had a season-high 6.5% completion over expectation, 20-26, 228 yards and a touchdown. I think it's too little too late for Green Bay, but they hope that Jordan Love develops throughout the year and is their guy moving forward. He's not. He's not, but he was pretty good in this game. Um, Greg Rosenthal said about this game, if you were to tell the story of an NFL season and had to skip one game at some point in the year and still be able to tell the story, it's probably this one. Um, Yeah. uh, Step Hadford asked what happened to Aaron Donald. I don't know. He probably did lose a step, but it's also probably the fact that he has like legitimately no good players around him on the defense. And that was kind of why me and Shane coming into the year 
were expecting the Rams to be one of the two worst teams in football with Arizona. I predicted them to go three and 14, which by the way, they might not win another game. Depending on what happens with Stafford, it's not impossible yeah. for them to lose out, um, which would probably be good for their future. But the Rams, the reason we thought they were going to be so bad is because their their defense, when you looked at it depth chart-wise before the year, was Aaron Donald and 10 bad players. Yeah. So, yeah, not I mean, much Aaron, else to say on this game. Aaron Donald's still third in pass rush win rate. So wow. what, hap- what happened to Aaron Donald is name one other player on the defense, and you yeah. probably – probably can't so i mean that that really you you probably could but Mm -hmm. average listener probably cannot name other players on the rams depth chart uh yeah here i'll I'll just name some of them for you here i know byron young's actually grading out well on on the defensive line but that's yeah yeah no you know what i'm not gonna name them you guys can google it if you want to we spent way too long in some of the other games kobe durant uh is out there i remember him uh but yeah i can't name a lot of them either offhand so it's bad, 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 bad defense. So, yeah. I, I mean, this game was irrelevant. We can move on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Pass. Uh, Washington at New England. Uh, Washington wins 20 to 17. Uh, Washington put up 10 points on their first three possessions. On the remaining eight possessions, they only scored 10 more. Uh, Sam Howell ended 29 of 45 for 324 yards with a touchdown and an interception. He took three sacks. The Patriots' offense is just a mess. At two and seven, the team is off to their worst start since 2000, which was Belichick's worst year, or excuse me, first year with the team. Uh, New England had a chance to put it in the end zone to win the game, or at worst, tie. And Mac Jones threw a pick to Jatavis Martin with 30 seconds left. This is the first time the Commanders have beaten the Patriots since 2003, when they also won 20 to 17. So, uh, same score 20 years later. Patriots are a mess, man. Yeah, we talked about it earlier um, in, in the con that someone asked, y'all think Bill gets fired? I still don't. I still think he's back for next year with a new quarterback. Like, I think they'll try to have him pick a new quarterback. We'll see. Um, but if he – if they will fire him. We were, we were talking about it. They, he won't retire. I, I don't think he'll retire. I think he wants to keep coaching. He'll go to, like, a Washington if he has to, I think. But I think they will try to keep him for another year. This was one of those games where I wanted to bet the commanders really bad plus three, but after they had sold all the pieces, I got too scared. Yep. And then watching the game, I just felt stupid for not betting them because they were so clearly still the better team here in, in this game, even though they only won by three. Um, the Patriots receiving core is such a joke. Like you watch them on offense and it's just, no one's ever open. Like, and not, not to, not to defend Mac Jones. Cause I'm not here to do that at all. I think he probably shouldn't start in the NFL. But it, it is it is damning what GM Bill has given head coach Bill to work with on offense because it is it is one of the worst receiving cores and one of the worst skill position cores that I've ever seen. Yeah, and Kendrick Bourne getting hurt last week certainly yes. doesn't help either. Massive, massive kind of shift for them. By the way, Jatavis Martin goes by Quan Martin. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, I have no idea. I feel like we covered that guy extensively in the draft process. We did. I and, never knew that. Uh, yeah, apparently he's, he's a Quan Martin. On the call for the interception, they kept saying Quan Martin. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Didn't know that. Well, let's go to New Orleans, where the Saints beat the Bears 24-17. to 17. Uh, Tyson Badgett turned the ball over four times, three of which were in the fourth quarter. 
In five fourth quarter possessions, the Bears had three turnovers and two three and outs. On the other side, for the first time since week five, the Saints offense did not turn the ball over in a game. Now, the offense didn't do much, but they didn't turn it over. And when the other team turns it over five times, that's generally enough. Uh, Taysom Hill led the Saints with 52 rushing yards. He had a passing touchdown and a receiving touchdown uh, as they won this game. And I mean, I think the Saints are probably going to win the South at this point. I think they're going to cruise there. And you look at their their schedule, they might go 11 and 6, 10 and 7. Like, as crazy as that is to say, they're 5 and 4. Like, if you look at their schedule, they easily could go 6 and 3 um, to close out the year. Maybe not easily, but they can definitely go. Uh, wait, so they're 5 and 4. They can definitely go 5 and 3. They have the second easiest strength of schedule left. Uh, they have Lions, Vikings, Panthers, Giants, Rams, Falcons twice, Bucks. I mean, Giants and Rams are automatic wins there. So at that point, you're just needing like two, three more wins probably to win the division. I think New Orleans runs away with the division. um, And I don't even know if I think they're good or not, but I I think they're average. And I don't think any of these other teams in their division are at all average. If I know anything about the Saints, they will backdoor into the playoffs in a terrible division, get blown out on wildcard weekend, and somehow convince themselves they're one piece away and trade eight future <laughs> picks to move up in the draft. Yeah, that's what Mickey Benson does there There with New Orleans. I do have a fun Taysom Hill stat. Taysom okay. Hill, second player in NFL history to have 10-plus passing, 10-plus rushing, and 10-plus receiving touchdowns. Pretty, pretty absolutely insane stuff. Frank Gifford was the other one back in like the 50s and 60s. Okay. And that's when football wasn't even really football. Yeah, he was like an H-back. <laughs> yeah. He was just playing every position. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the Taysom Hill thing, yeah. for a long time I hated on it. And for a long time I was pretty negative on Taysom Hill. He's a weapon. At a certain point, like, I don't know how he is a weapon, <laughs> but he's a weapon. Like, I feel like he'd be so easy to stop as a defensive coordinator but it seems like the defense loses their minds when he comes into the game and they just like someone gets wide open and he makes the one pass that he throws in the game or he goes like he finds a hole in the offensive line. Like he just seems to be in the right spot at the right time. Taysom. I have a theory. Okay. I've been reading Harry Potter with my son. Okay. I think Taysom Hill has an invisibility cloak. <laughs> yeah, That's gotta might. be it. He might. I don't get it. Like I don't, he's not that fast. He's not like, I don't, I really don't get it. It's it's an incredible thing, but hey, I, I he's helping that team a lot for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go on to another game that I thought was going to be good, and it just wasn't. That is Seattle at Baltimore. Oof. Baltimore blasted Seattle 37-3. to The Ravens have given up nine touchdowns in nine games, Mark. They just held a top five offense in Seattle to three points two weeks after holding the Lions, who were another top five offense, to six points. They boat raced those NFC contenders, winning by 32 and 34. And then in between, they beat the number one overall pick contender Cardinals by seven. Isn't football so much fun? Like, (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't make sense. But in this game, Baltimore dominated the line of scrimmage. They pressured Geno on 55% of his dropbacks. Uh, They got UDFA Keaton Mitchell 
going, had his first carry of the season, end of the day with nine attempts for 138 yards. That's a good day in the office for anybody, much less the UDFA. Seattle only had six first downs the whole game. They were outgained 151 yards to 515. Their average distance to go on third down was 9.75 yards. Just a dreadful day for Seattle. An incredible day for Baltimore. Uh, I, I think like I think Baltimore looks unstoppable right now. We'll talk about the Bengals in a second. They look unstoppable, and I'm not even sure if they're the best team in their division. The AFC North is so much fun. Yeah, Baltimore is definitely really good. I think their defense, like I actually predicted on this show, I think, their defense is so much better than, than people were expecting coming into the year. Seattle had six first downs in this game. Like, that's just – that's an insane stat. With all the talent that they have on their roster, there's no excuse um, for how bad the offense was in this game. Some serious questions have to be asked about Geno. Um, I, I think at this point, uh, I think for a large stretch of their game last week and then obviously for this whole game, Geno looked bad. Geno looked like the Geno we kind of expected coming into last year um, before he kind of shocked us. But it – it's a you don't want to just like write a team off with a loss, but Seattle's going to be in the playoffs and it's going to be hard for anyone to take them seriously at any point for the rest of the year after this game. Um, I, I know it'll be hard for me as someone with a bunch of Seattle futures that aren't going to cash now. Um, I was coming into this game like, all right, like I have I don't feel like Seattle's looked like I think they can and yet they're five and two. So, you know, I thought if you can compete with Baltimore, you, you feel pretty good about where you're at. You didn't compete with Baltimore. So I, I don't know how you feel good where you're at. The Baltimore thing, yeah, they look amazing. I think, like, anyone trying to tell themselves that they're definitively better than Kansas City or Cincinnati, I, I don't know if that's fair. Like, I, I think they're all on the same level. I, I think all three of them are really, really, really good. Um, I don't think any of them are light years ahead of any of them. So um, it's going to be a really, really fun AFC playoffs. I mean, obviously, you throw the Dolphins in there, too. Um, I do think that they are still a factor, even though they, they do struggle against good teams. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's there's so many good teams in the AFC. I am very thankful to be in the NFC. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's keep this train rolling. Let's go to Houston where Houston wins against Tampa Bay 39 to 37. Mark, I got to ask you, this is a callback to a couple weeks ago, but do you remember when I disrespected CJ Stroud by calling him a top six quarterback in the NFL? <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah. It's live on the podcast. You guys can go check it out. I disrespected CJ Stroud by saying he was like a top six quarterback. Uh, I'm, I might have to walk that back now. Uh, CJ Stroud gets the ball back in this game with 45 seconds left down four leads a six-play, 75-yard touchdown drive to win the game. He set the single-game record for passing yards from a rookie QB, going 30 of 42 for 470 yards and five touchdowns. He is the only QB in the NFL this year with over 200 attempts and less than three interceptions, and he only has one. Now, Brock Purdy went on a heater last year. This is different. Brock Purdy was playing with an absurdly stacked team. Stroud is doing it behind an offensive line with more backups than starters, throwing mm -hmm. to Dalton Schultz, Noah Brown, and Nico Collins. And he averaged 0.71 EPA per play in this game. I could not be more impressed with CJ Stroud. I think, 
Like CJ Stroud, CJ Stroud is playing like you would expect a 10 year vet. And he's a rookie in like his ninth start. I don't know if they had their bye yet or not. I can't remember eighth or ninth start. He is playing incredible football. He is elevating a subpar supporting cast. Houston Texans. The Houston Texans are going to be in serious Super Bowl contention in the next three years. And I know they don't have their first round pick. What he is doing right now is going to make players want to come play there. You've got D'Amico Ryans, who is the defensive name. You're going to attract defensive players. You've got C.J. Stroud. You have the greatest asset in pro sports. That is a quarterback on a rookie contract. This roster can get good really fast, regardless of if they have their own first-round pick or not next year. You may remember when when we often you, – you were very hard on the Will Anderson trade um, that the Houston Texans made, <laughs> and I think you still would be, mm-hmm. um, and, and I still probably wouldn't have made that trade – the one thing that we always differed on in the offseason was I I told you I did not think the Texans would be giving up a high pick. I, I always kind of felt like they were going to be a frisky 7-8 win team. This might go beyond that. They might be a 9-win team. They might be competing for a playoff spot this year. That's all because of C.J. Stroud. I mean, C.J. Stroud is truly uh, – how many – I mean, just top of my head, Mahomes, Hurts, Allen, Burrow, and Lamar. Lamar. I'm taking them over him. I don't know who else. Tua? Yeah. No. Yeah, I'd probably take Stroud. Um, it's clo- I think it's close. But I I don't know who else. I, I don't, yeah. It, yeah, he's, he's got to be six, seven, eight in that range of who you'd take right now. Um, yeah, the best, the best kind of thing I can say about him is as someone who had Texans minus two and a half, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, someone who had Texas <laughs> minus two. I had that one too. Yeah. Uh, I had no doubts that he was going to go down the field in 45 seconds and score, which is yeah. an amazing thing to say about a rookie. Like normally in that situation, I, I would feel like a bet is dead. I did not feel like that in this situation, but maybe I should have because <laughs> Texans <laughs> minus two and a half. I, I will just say, I said that they might compete for the playoffs. You said they might be a Super Bowl contender over the next three years. There is bad karma coming to D'Amico Ryans and the Houston Texans for doing what they did to the gambling community. You don't get away with, you don't get away with that. I don't know what the karma will be, but bad karma is coming down the pike. You don't take a knee up to on a two point conversion. Be be a grown up, be an adult. (laughs) People, people are wagering their hard earned money on this game. You know, the spread, come on, come on. (laughs) Yeah, so for those of you that aren't sure what Mark's referencing, they scored the touchdown. Extra point would put them up three, but their kicker was injured. Although they did have a backup running back hit the first non-kicker field goal since 2004 when Wes Welker did it early in the game. They didn't try him out there, didn't want to get it blocked or anything, run back to tie the game. They didn't run a play. They just took a knee and shattered the hopes of everyone who had Texans minus two and a half. So here's the question, and obviously if the, te- if the kicker didn't get hurt, the Texans would have covered this game easily because they just kept failing two-point conversions. They, mm-hmm. they, I've never seen a team worse at two-point conversions than the Texans. They have not figured that out yet. Um, but uh, if they had a kicker, do they kick that extra point at the end? Yeah. I've seen some debate. People have been like, well, it's still two points. And Yeah, analytically speaking, you probably shouldn't because – 
there is not time for the other team to get in field goal. There was what, like seven seconds left. Yeah. I think it might've even been like four. Yeah. So like they can run a kickoff back, but that's going to be a touchdown. Like there's no scenario where they can move the ball into field goal range and then kick a field goal. So like analytically speaking, if you had Justin Tucker, you should probably still take a knee there. I don't think anybody would do that because to be honest, I don't think any NFL coach would think of it in the moment. Yeah, I agree. I I agree with you a hundred percent there. So there was some debate about that online and that that's exactly where I come down on it. And Sorry, Houston Texans. We're here to tell you that you have a top six QB and, you know, you're probably going to compete for a Super Bowl in the next two, three years. But karma's coming. I don't know where. I don't know when. But karma's karma's coming down that pike. I'll tell you right now, though. I said no NFL coach has ever thought of it. Now that it's been raised, I can promise you if the Eagles are ever in that situation, they'll take a knee and not kick a field goal or kick an extra point. And you know I'll have Eagles minus two and a half in that spot yeah. too. So that's that's the brutal part. The one thing I'll say before moving on, you mentioned Brock Purdy um, and the similar stat line or, or the similar thing that he's done with CJ Stroud. The one through line there is offensive coordinator. The yeah. offensive coordinator for Brock Purdy last year and the offensive coordinator this year for Houston, Bobby Slowick, yeah. um, from San Francisco, Shanahan disciple. He will be a head coaching candidate this offseason, Bobby Slowick. So keep that name in the back of your mind. Yeah. Last thing I'll point out before we move on, and then we really will move on. Uh, <laughs> think about the AFC South quarterbacks right now. Yeah. Like you got Trevor Lawrence, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, who looked electric before he got hurt. And maybe you've got Will Levis. Like this could be a great crop of quarterbacks in the AFC South that are all young. Uh, that'll be really fun to watch play out over the next few years. So I just thought Garden. I'd point that out. Gardner Minshew's upset that you didn't mention him too. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Gardner. Uh, okay, <laughs> let's move on. We already covered Colts Panthers, so let's go to Las Vegas. We got to talk about the Raiders beating the New York Giants thirty to six. Fire Josh McDaniels. Great things happen. Also, on a very related note, play the Giants and great things happen. Uh, Raiders beat the Giants. They're smoking cigars, dancing in the locker room after the game because Josh McDaniels is gone. Uh, <laughs> on the Giants side, Daniel Jones tore his ACL in this game, which absolutely sucks uh, for him and the organization. Tommy DeVito had to come into this game. And at this point, we're talking about Aiden O'Connell versus Tommy DeVito. And I don't know why we would talk about Aiden O'Connell versus Tommy DeVito. The Giants won this game as far as I'm concerned because every win is a loss for both of these teams that desperately need quarterbacks. So uh, sucks for Giants fans. You want to lose every game the rest of the year. Yeah, I actually – you said it's a nightmare for the organization, this Jones injury. I think it's the best thing that happened to the Giants in a very long time because this means you can shamelessly tank, and this means you can also move on from Daniel Jones a little faster. Um, the Next year is his last guaranteed year. Um, So they can get out from under this contract after next year. And I think that they will be preparing for that by drafting a quarterback um, next year. And he will be, I don't know if they'll start Jones and let the rookie sit or if they'll start the rookie and let Jones make $40 million on the bench. Um, But I very much think this gives New York a lot of avenues and outs. Um, So yeah, people are upset about Brian Dable. I've already heard uh, the New York fans are calling for his head. 
Brian Dable, a year after him being the coach of the year, which is very funny. Um, I don't think that Brian Dable is a bad coach at all. I think this is just a nightmare year for the Giants. Uh, they overachieved last year, and he's kind of being punished for overachieving now uh, because they're so bad. He, people are like, well, you made the playoffs last year. How, how are you this much worse? It's like they shouldn't have made the playoffs. That, that's really how simple it is. But not much to say on the Giants. The Raiders side of things, let's talk Josh McDaniels. I mean, man, the stories that are coming out are incredible. The story that they had a meeting um, to kind of air out grievances and everyone was telling Josh McDaniels basically how much they hated him and how much he sucked. And Josh McDaniels, because he sensed that he was losing the locker room, went up to, I don't, was, was Antonio Pierce the linebacker coach? I don't know what exactly he was before he got promoted. I think he was LB coach. Um, but he went up to he went up to Antonio Pierce and asked him to give a speech in front of the team. Antonio Pierce gave apparently a great speech about the 2007 New York Giants and how they rallied around each other and all, yada 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 all this stuff. After the after the segment, Josh McDaniels goes up to Antonio Pierce in front of the team and says, "Don't ever talk that way about the Patriots again." Or don't don't talk badly about the Patriots again. Josh McDaniels is the coach of the Raiders, dude. Like you can't still be tied up in the Patriots. Like, I, and maybe it's a joke, but like, I don't think. I mean, Josh he knew was, that he knew that he was going to be in New England next year, so he had to stand well, up for in two weeks. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, yeah. That's an incredible, incredibly unaware story. Apparently, he was. Uh, before their last game, he wasn't coaching at practice, McDaniels. He looked like a zombie, people were saying. He wasn't directing anyone. He was letting the assistants handle the practice, and he was standing off to the side. What is going on in Vegas? It is That is a, a dumpster fire. But they have a potential here, the Raiders, to go on a little Rich Passaccia run. A couple of years ago, John Gruden got ousted for some bad emails. And Rich Basaccia came and in. for just being a terrible head coach. Yeah, it's well, he, that's not how that's not why he got fired. Though. <laughs> no, no, they would have they would have kept Mark Davis would have kept handing him ten million dollars a year. Um, but he got he got ousted for some some bad things he said. Um, and besides that, Rich Basaccia came in and led them to the playoffs as an interim coach. Antonio Pierce came in, probably won't lead them to the playoffs, but. I think could have some fun moments. Did you see the the clip that, that people were showing um, him talking about the practice squad? No. So he elected to have the practice squad all dress in uniform and stand on the sideline. So they had like an absurd amount of people on their sideline and he got asked about it. And he's like, they're as important as anybody. They're, they're a cog in the wheel three days a week. They're giving a scout team looks. They earned the right to be Raiders. I mean, they have the Jersey. The jersey has their name on it. Why would I tell them they can't wear it? Why would I tell them they can't be on the sideline? Like, you can sense things about this guy. I didn't even that, know like, you could do that. Yeah, he said that. He said it's like, he said it's a, it's up to you. Um, every team should said, do that. Why isn't every team doing that? It makes no sense. It may, but it's awesome that that yeah. he stepped up and like noticed that this was a stupid thing. And he said he always did that. And when he coached in high school and college, so why wouldn't he do it in the NFL? And you can just start to see some of the things he says, some of the way he talks in these uh, press conferences. I want to run through a brick wall for this guy. There's yeah, no like, way the 53 guys don't. Like, 
that practice squad guy that gets to run out of the tunnel that like, that's awesome. I don't, I didn't know. I didn't know you could do that. And I don't know why any team wouldn't do that. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, he seems like a great guy. Antonio Pierce seems like he's doing everything right there and trying to really fix the culture. I, I'm well, I can't, I can't wait till he wins like six games and then they go hire some other loser instead. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so John Gruden, they paid him a hundred million dollars and he went 22 and 31 before he got fired. They're still paying Gruden. They signed McDaniels to a six-year, $60 million contract and fired him halfway through the second season at 9-16. and 16. So whatever coach they choose to hire next year, they will still be paying McDaniels and Gruden and whoever they hire. Well, I think they're in court with Gruden. I could be wrong on that. But I, I do believe they're in court with Gruden to try to not pay him that money. Yeah. So that's that's an interesting thing. I actually think they might they might have got that might be already decided. They might have gotten away with not paying him, but the NFL had to pay him like a loss. Oh. What what he won in the lawsuit? I don't know exactly though. It was a, yeah. That's a weird. It's a weird situation. So what you're saying is John Gruden won more court cases in Las Vegas than football games. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> okay, let's keep going here to Sunday night football, um, where. The Buffalo Bills traveled to Cincinnati and they lose this one 18 to 24. Uh, Joe Burrow's game last week against San Fran was not a one-off performance. Bloody finger and all. That made me feel not good watching the TV, I'll just say. Yeah. Uh, Burrow threw for 348 yards and two touchdowns. He was scrambling around. Uh, Cincinnati only put up three points in the second half, but I thought Burrow still played really well. Uh, since week five, Burrow leads the NFL with a 4-0 record, 76% completion percentage, 10 touchdowns, and a 111 passer rating. So Joe Burrow is on a heater too. He's back playing the way that we expected him to before this injury happened in training camp. On Buffalo's side, Buffalo opened the game with an 85-yard drive, and then they only had 37 yards in the rest of the first half. Uh, aside from... One three and out in the second half. The Bills had at least 10 plays and at least 50 yards on every drive. They pulled it to a six-point game, but they could not get the ball back after they got it to six points. And I do think it bears pointing out, we've talked about the injuries to the Bills' defense. Aaron Schatz had this on Twitter, the DVOA guy for FTN. Uh, he said weeks one through four, the Bills' defensive DVOA ranked third in the NFL in weeks five through nine, it ranks dead last. And so the fall off is real for the bills defense. The bills are always going to be contenders with Josh Allen, but man, this defense looks rough. Yeah. And I mean, this is why I proclaimed their season dead um, in, in London when they lost Matt Milano the week after they lost Jadavius white Von Miller got hurt in that game. I think someone else got hurt in that game that I'm forgetting as well. Um, what's his name? Defensive lineman grades out really well usually and he, he got hurt i i can't remember but um they had a lot of players go down there and it, i just don't think you can recover from that and, and that's why like these super bowl windows you never know how long they're going to be and it seems to me like the bills at least temporarily are out of that window that they were in and the bengal's like joe burrow said his he is the super bowl window and yeah. I think it is very much open for Cincinnati right now. Um, 
this was one of those games where we talked about it before the day. You were you, we both liked the Bengals, but you were worried about a potential Josh Allen thermonuclear game, as you called it. And I was more worried about it felt too easy to me. The Bengals were minus one and a half at home against Buffalo. That means Vegas was telling you they think Buffalo was the better team. Buffalo would have been favored by at least two and a half in Buffalo, that means. That doesn't seem right to me. So that scared me a little bit. The public was on Cincinnati, which means the Sharps were on Buffalo. But I said, I, I, I said, you know what? I'll bet Cincinnati. I'll make it a small bet. Then I had a great day. I had one of the best days of my year on Sunday. And I was like, you know what? I'm doubling down. There's no way this line should be one and a half. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad I didn't trick myself out of betting on that game the way that I wanted to. It never made sense to me. I don't know why people were viewing Buffalo and Cincy on the same level going into that game when Cincy had so clearly been better as of late and didn't lose three of their best players on defense. So, yeah, I I just think I said it last week when Joe Mixon high stepped into the end zone to quote, you know, Jay-Z, I think I got my swagger back. That that is what the Cincinnati Bengals are. It they got their swagger back. This is this is the Cincinnati Bengals we were expecting. Yeah. All right. Let's go to briefly go to Monday Night Football Do here. To? Do we have to? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> not for long. The Chargers beat the Jets twenty-seven to six. They won by twenty-one while totaling under two hundred yards of offense. I mean, we could talk about these teams. There's nothing new to say. They're what they've always been. The Chargers have no right side to their offensive line. Trey Pipkins cannot be a starter for your offensive line in 2023. He was awful, although Rashawn Slater was awful as well at eight pressures in this game. Herbert pressured on 54% of his dropbacks. The Jets gave up eight sacks because they don't have an offensive line either, and they didn't draft anybody. The Chargers have no wide receivers. The Jets are wasting an incredible defense on an untenable quarterback when they could have made a move. And I know you tried the Aaron Rodgers thing. You could have made a move for Ryan Tannehill, Josh Dobbs, Jacoby Brissett at the trade deadline. You didn't. In doing so, you punted the season. I I don't know. There's I got nothing to say about these teams that I haven't been saying for over a year. They've got problems that they aren't addressing. And until they do, they're not serious football teams. Yeah, this is just uh... – the Jets' defense is too good for for them to be dealing w- with this nonsense at the quarterback position. And and Robert Sala comes out after the game and goes, was it the best game Zach Wilson's played? No. Was it the worst game Zach Wilson's played? No, absolutely not. There have been worse ones. It's like, I don't think that's a ringing endorsement that you think it is, Robert. Like, <laughs> I don't think, I, if that's the case, then I think you got to really check some things out. But when you have Justin Herbert have – the worst game of his NFL career, probably um, in terms of efficiency, 16 for 30, 136 yards, 65.4 passer rating. You have Austin Eckler run 14 carries for 47 yards. And not you have him get seven targets and only two catches in the game. You probably think you won, right? Or you probably think you, you kept it close. You lost 27 to six. How does that happen? How do you lose 27 to six to a team that had 136 passing yards and a bad running game? It's just embarrassing. That's an embarrassing loss. And I tweeted two weeks ago when the Jets beat the Giants, 
If the Jets would have lost to that Giants team with Tommy DeVito, I think it would have been the most embarrassing loss in NFL history. I don't even – I'm not even pulling punches saying that. I think the way that that Giants offense was, and we saw it this week against the Raiders, that would have been truly an abomination if the Jets lost to that team. Um, this is just as bad. Putting up six points when your defense does that well and just losing by three touchdowns when your defense does that well – that's that's embarrassing. And all I'll say is bet the Lions minus one and a half this week at the Chargers. That line is makes no sense. It's a stupid line. The Lions are so much better than the Chargers. So your comment about Robert Sala saying it's wasn't his best game, but it wasn't his worst game. If you were going to guess based off QB rating, where do you think how many games has Zach Wilson okay. played that are worse than this game by QB rating? Four. 19. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's so bad. Oh. <laughs> that blew me away just looking That's at that stat up. That's a great stat. I'm happy we had that. That's like That's a great stat for the end of the party. That's amazing. I am so off. <laughs> I just knew like, I just, I just like, there's no way that's right. And I double checked it and that's absolutely right. I, I'm on pro football reference. You know, I scroll over and I so was Robert get, his, Sala. get his career game. <laughs> yes. So it was Robert Sala. And yeah, you scroll it down there and you've got number 20 on the list. Imagine the he loss came to the chargers. That. He's like, actually there've been 19 worse games. Than Zach Wilson yeah. You know, what's crazy. Bypasser rating. This is his eleventh best game. Oh my god! I guess that it's is... because he didn't t- didn't throw any interceptions. Yeah, probably. But yeah, bypasser rating. Zach Wilson's eleventh best game of his career. Yeah, there's also like moments in this game, like Garrett Wilson fumbled when they were in the red zone, and it's like I think at that point it was seven nothing, and it's like man, it, you're not a good enough offense to to make it through things like that. It's just, you can't have things like that happen at the beginning of the game. It totally throws off the rhythm. I feel like. Yeah. All right. That is going to wrap it up for this episode. Mark, do you got any final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, I, I'll just throw, I, I wasn't prepared at all, but I have my picks, seg- the, the picks for next week, my look ahead picks that I do every week. Um, I just mentioned my favorite one lions minus two and a half. Um, against the Chargers. I like Indy minus one and a half at New England in Germany. Uh, I like the Jags plus three at home against San Fran. I like the Titans plus one and a half on the road in Tampa. I think that's a nice spot for Will Levis, um, considering Todd Bowles just gave up 9,000 passing yards to CJ Stroud last game. I like the Saints minus two and a half at the Vikings. I like the Steelers minus three against the Packers. I mentioned the Lions, and last but not least, I love this line's bizarre. I'll just I'll ask you what you think what you think it is. Atlanta at Arizona, Shane. What do you think that line is? Atlanta at Arizona. Kyler's supposed to play, right? Yeah. Okay. Arizona minus okay three and a half. It's it's uh, Atlanta minus one. I'm shocked that that Atlanta, I thought that line, we went the total opposite way because <laughs> I thought Atlanta was going to be like minus five and a half. In that game. Oh, wow. 
so I I really like Atlanta in that spot, which feels bizarre to say after the way we just talked about Arthur Smith. But <laughs> I do think Atlanta gets the job done in that game. Arizona's been really bad lately, and I know they're getting Kyler back, but I think there's a lot of problems outside of quarterback for them. So um, I do like Atlanta in that game. And then I, I lean Buffalo against Denver. Like when Buffalo beats a team, they generally blow them out. I think the stat is like 45 of Josh Allen's wins have come by more than a touchdown. I mean, I think he's only got like 60 wins or something like that. So, uh, yeah, I lean Buffalo there minus seven and a half. But, yeah, that's my final thoughts, my leans. All right. Mark coming off of a historic week. So be sure you're following along with his picks. Never bet anything I bet because it doesn't turn out well. Uh, we had some shared going... picks. We had some shared picks. We did. We did. I'm just going to start copying your picks. I'm just going to retweet your tweet. <laughs> I <Yeah>. like that. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to do it for this episode. This was a long one, but I think we had some good discussions there that we weren't necessarily planning to get into about, especially about some of these quarterbacks and the outlook for some teams whose seasons aren't going the way that they might, their fans might've hoped. So hopefully you guys have some hope from that uh, to go out and maybe be shattered on Sunday. I guess we'll see, but thank you guys for joining us for episode 129 of chalk talk. If you enjoy what you heard on the show, we know that you do. Smash that subscribe button, turn on notifications so you don't miss our next episode. We'll be live next Tuesday night. Drop us a five-star rating and review wherever you stream your podcast. Those are especially helpful on Apple Podcasts to get that out there to more people. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Shane Half NFL. He is at Mark Henry Jr. And we will catch you guys next time.